Kiora, it's Friday the 21st of June 2019 and welcome to the Week in Tax. I'm Terry Boucher, Taxpert and Director of Boucher Consulting Limited, a tax consultancy helping optimize tax for small businesses, individuals with overseas investments and other professionals. This week, the prescribed investor rate debacle gets bigger. Can you really claim expenses for wine storage? And do flat taxes work? Last week I spoke about the issue over the incorrect choice of prescribed investor rates by investors in the uh, KiwiSaver funds. And this week, Inland Revenue has released a bit more detail around that. It's now saying that 950,000 people have the incorrect prescribed investor rate, PIR, and have overpaid their tax, probably to, on an average of about $44 each, or about $42 million for a year. Conversely, about 550,000 have underpaid their tax, uh, are used among PIR, and have underpaid. And that works out to maybe a uh, $50 million. Inland Revenue is still sticking to the position that it will sort out this year going forward. Uh, it will expect people to pay for the 2019 year and then adjust their uh, PIRs going forward and then um, but not look at prior years. So there is a question of what to do um, about collecting the tax for prior years, which I've raised before. Now, the issue this week has focused on two things to me going in. One, the sheer numbers involved. And two, what about the people who have overpaid? Why can't they get a refund? On the latter, I spoke to Heather Duplessis-Allen on News Talk ZB on Wednesday night about this matter and explained that the background of this all goes back to when the KiwiSaver was set up in 2007. And because of our tax-tax exempt approach to retirement savings, the government felt the approach was taken then it would be easier to um, for compliance purposes if the funds paid the tax at the correct rate rather than previously used to be 33% and then tie the rate to the investors rate and that would um, make matters more efficient going forward or simpler for compliance purposes for rather than everyone having to file tax returns. The problem is that um, investors really didn't pay attention to what was going on and uh, ignored either ignored the fact that salary increases may mean their PIR had changed. Uh, something there is actually a, a Financial Markets Authority report on investor inertia behavior, I think it's called, um, from uh, earlier this year, which looked at this question of who's in the people investing in default funds, KiwiSaver funds. So it strikes me there's a lot of education that can be done in this space around uh, from both the Financial Markets Authority, Inland Revenue, and the KiwiSaver providers themselves about ensuring people choose the correct PIR. It still doesn't get around the fact that it is unfair that people have overpaid tax, maybe for possibly eight nine years or more. And yes, as Heather Duplessis-Allen said, $44 on average isn't a lot to lose sleep about. But still, it's the principle behind the matter that one hand, if you'd underpaid, you would pay tax. But if you'd overpaid, sorry, 
That's the way the rules work. Never mind. Um, and that sort of principle doesn't do much for um, promoting people's belief in the tax, the fairness of the tax system. And the, the other thing to do is the sheer scale of this. At first, when I first heard it was 450,000 taxpayers, I was surprised because I thought that was a large number. Now it's nearly more than three times that. And when you consider there are about 2.8 million KiwiSaver accounts, basically it's saying one in every two KiwiSaver account has got the wrong PIR. Now that is a massive systems failure. Um, it does, as I said earlier, point to a lot of in uh, lack of action about keeping people up to date on what their options were around this. So I think this isn't going away. Andrew Bailey, MP, has been uh, raised it, as I said, with the Finance Expenditure Select Committee. And it's a matter, I think, that the Finance Expenditure Select Committee should be asking a lot more questions of Inland Revenue as to how this situation was allowed to develop. I think they should also be pointing, um, asking a few questions of um, the Finance Financial Markets Authority as to its role in helping the um, <clears throat> people get the right to go, uh, PIR, and the providers, the default fund providers in particular. Um, so watch this space on this. Um, I don't think, by the way, we'll see any rapid change to um, um, the allow for a refunds to be uh, made. Um, so that's a legislative fix, and that could, would take, even if it was initiated now, would probably take, not wouldn't take effect for another couple of years. The other big tax story in the news this week was the questions around, well, not quite so a tax, but around the, the question of the expenses claims of the former CEO of ANZ Bank, David Hisco. Um, he seems to have had a very generous expense account and, in, and there appears to have been a great deal of um, perhaps he's overclaimed. That's a matter before that will be resolved in due time between the parties. But the question popped up as to, well, what's the tax treatment of this? And as I explained to um, Bonnie Fellows of Bonnie Floors, sorry, of stuff, it's rather more complicated than you imagine. Um, these errors do creep up. Basically, you can claim an expense to the extent it's incurred in deriving gross income. Um, for individuals who are trading in their own account, they generally, the, the, the expenses around the tight, uh, uh, um, travel expenses can get a bit gray. And we have the entertainment regime as well, which says that basically if you are entertaining clients, uh, and some work-related expenses, it is only 50% deductible. Um, for employers, the position is if the, if, if the expense of the employee meets their criteria, then it's, they'll refund it to the employee. And then they'll, that company, the company will be responsible for making the necessary tax adjustments. But it's all a bit messy and involved. And I think for Larger companies, sometimes what they do is they say, give an expense account and say, right, here's your expense account. And, um, uh, you know, that's it. Don't bother us with receipts. 
um, Inland Revenue has said, you know, if that's a reasonable estimation of what would be the expenses for that particular job, that's fine by us. But does that mean that you could claim, as apparently Mr. Hisco claimed, expense, uh, wine storage expense? Well, it's not perhaps as absurd as it sounds, because Mr. Hisco is the senior executive in a very large company, and he probably does a lot of entertaining, and he may also do um, entertaining at home, where discretion would be, because if you're out in the public, people may see you, and it, it may not look good that the um, if he's, um, say, all the having dinner with all the other CEOs of the banks, people might be might draw, uh, will draw conclusions from that. So discretion uh, and who you meet and, and key clients, etc., is not to be surprising. So in that context, keeping a reasonably good wine storage, wine cellar, and storing it isn't actually that absurd a, a claim. Um, but the, there is also, as someone pointed out, there's a little bit like... Um, the MPs expenses that happened in the UK about 10 years ago where MPs were claiming all sorts of expenses including and I kid you not a moat for a castle uh, maintaining the moat of a castle um, and MPs had an enormous amount of damage to MPs reputation and in, in, in some ways you could argue it laid the groundwork for the Brexit debacle that's going on in Britain at the moment you know massive shattering of trust in the um, institutions and that's sort of something perhaps to bear in mind, even if you can make a very good case that wine cellaring was a deductible expense. It is, to borrow a phrase, not the greatest look. Now, uh, last week, um, Act or on Sunday, uh, the Act Party released its flat, uh, its tax policy, and this, and it's gone for a really bold approach, declaring a t proposing a flat tax rate of seventeen half percent for individuals and corporates. And um, the uh, on all income above forty-eight thousand um, dollars on all, all income. Now, the forty-eight thousand dollars threshold is um, when the tax rate goes from seventeen half percent to thirty percent. So, the Act's proposal does represent a fairly substantial tax cut um, for in people earning above that approximately about one-third of all earners but for two-thirds below that it is a would probably represent a tax increase for some um, so it's attracted at criticism on that but the flat tax theory goes is is been around for a long time now and in fact if a uh, quick plug here I wrote about it for interest.co.nz in their top five it stems from um, the most um, key as part of what they call supply side economics and uh, a leading economist in that theory, Arthur Laffer, the divisor of the Laffer curve, was this week awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian award available in America by President Trump. So um, the Laffer curve and the flat tax theories have, have been around for some time, been part of the political and, uh, landscape for 40 years now. Um, do they work? juries out on that and what the the problem you may encounter is what happens for lower income people because they pick they they get a tax increase um, that is a group and that is a group is not probably going to vote for this but what the act party perhaps overlook is that the top 
the highest, the what we call the effective marginal tax rate, the highest effective marginal tax rate is um, not 33%, the income tax rate, but it actually can be, uh, is the, happens to people who are receiving uh, social assistance, such as um, working for families. And the Product Productivity Commission, where they, if they earn over a certain amount, the um, working for families gets abated or clawed back. That's 25%. The best start family um, credit, which was introduced last year, that is a separate 25% abatement above certain levels. So you can, as a paper for the Productivity Commission pointed out, it is, there are a small group of people who have, if they start earning above a certain threshold, their effective marginal tax rate is 101.8%. That is, the they get everything clawed back in tax and abatements, and they, they, they're also paying ACC on those earnings. So that's a group that is hugely disincentivized to take on extra work. And it's something, in fact, that uh, really, perhaps, when we're looking at tax reform, it's an area, if we want to free up um, people and give them real opportunities to work, um, we need to look at that very carefully. It was part of the um, Welfare Expert Advisory Group report, and the Productivity Commission uh, bought, uh, published in February this year makes the same point. And finally this week, from the things I didn't know, I didn't know file, apparently there is now something called a taxed futurist. This tax futurist spoke at the International Fiscal Association's Asia-Pacific Conference in Melbourne this week. Among the future trends predicted was a greater reliance on GST, yes, environmental taxes, yes, but little or no corporate taxes and the end of democracy. Not good. Uh, interesting times ahead for sure. That's it for the week in tax. I'm Terry Boucher and you can find this podcast on my website www.boucher.tax or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send me your feedback and tell your friends and clients. Until next time, have a great week. Kakitiano.